I'm actually really glad that it's not Family Sunday. Because the message that we're going to be digging into this morning, especially when we think about who Esther is, and how God made Esther, and how God put her in such a place for such a time as this, is actually, it's pretty racy. In fact, I even could term this a little bit, um, it's certainly R-rated, if not even more than that. This is some heavy-duty stuff that we're going to be walking through in terms of Esther chapter 2 and how God uses something in His creation of who Esther is in a way that oftentimes should make us blush. Because in how God knit and formed and shaped who Esther is, and then also put her in a certain space at a certain time, what he was doing was pretty heavy duty and pretty significant and should challenge us to think about how God can work not only in the world around us, but then also through us. How many of you would say that God has transformed you through the good things of life, right? Right, you've seen that. How many of you would say that God has transformed you because of the messed up things in your life? Almost all of us, right? We recognize that even through the, we'll just call it the harder stuff, the more challenging stuff, even the stuff that's a little bit riskier to talk about, that God has been at work in our life. And that's what we're going to be discovering a little bit more of this morning in the book of Esther as we dig into God's Word. Let's ask for His blessing and His presence on our time. Father, be present with us as we dig into Your Word. Lord, in our understanding of who You made Esther to be, may that help us understand more about who You've made us to be. And Lord, even in some of the rough edges, some of the spaces, Lord, where we're, we blush or we might, even, we might even not want to think that way, that Lord, we can see that you are the God of all things. You are cre- the creator. You made us specifically and purposefully so that we can give glory to you with all that we are, every space in our life. Help us grow in our understanding that this morning, and Lord, in that, may you be glorified and then equip us to go out into this world and profess the amazing God that you are. We pray these things in the name of Jesus and God's people sit together. Amen. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Esther. Esther is going to be a couple books before the book of the Psalms. So if you go halfway in your book and then start thumb and back. Eventually you're going to get to Esther just before, just before the Psalms and Job and stuff like that. You're looking at chapter 2. We're going to begin by reading the first four verses. Later when King Xerxes' fury had subsided, and I'll go over all this stuff in a moment, so if you're not really sure where we're stepping into in the middle of the story, that's okay. I'll catch you up in a moment. He remembered Vashti and what she had done and what he had decreed about her. Then the king's personal attendants proposed, let a search be made for, a be- for beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint commissioners in every province of his realm to bring all these beautiful young women into the harem in the citadel of Susa. Let them be placed under the care of Haggai, the king's eunuch, 
eunuch who is in charge of the women and let beauty treatments be given them. Then let the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This advice appealed to the king and he followed it. Now, okay, King Xerxes, um, we, are, we, are, we are talking about a king, all-powerful king. This guy has a lot of um, authorities, the king of the Medes and the Persians. And um, in the previous chapter, where we find out the story of Vashti, basically what happened is he looked around at all that he had, and he has a ton. Like the guy has wealth and power and palaces and lots of stuff, and he wanted to show it off. And so he began to host a series of celebrations where he invited all the people from around, all the rulers from around, so that they could see just how awesome Xerxes was. And then um, there were other um, sort of celebrations that were thrown. And we're not talking about a party that lasted for like two or three hours. We're talking like day-long, multiple day-long parties. In fact, one of the parties went for a week. And that included his queen Vashti also hosting a party for the women because um, there certainly was chauvinism and segregation of men and women in the power sort of places of um, uh, of Persia. And so um, because she was in another area and she was beautiful, um, Xerxes wanted to show her off. And so he said, Vashti, come and um, see my, uh, the rest of these powerful people. And he says it in an interesting way. And if you look in the word, it says that she was to come bearing her royal crown. Now, when we hear that, we think, okay, she's wearing a crown on her head, but there are some, actually some readings of this that say she wasn't wearing anything else, or that was what he instructed her to do. So basically, he said to Vashti, come into my ballroom that is filled with all these powerful people, naked except for your crown. And for some reason, Vashti said no. She said, I'm not going to do it. And because this is the type of culture that it is, very male-centric and power-centric, um, Xerxes gets ticked off and in essence says, um, no, that's not how it's going to work. And every woman must submit to their husband as their ruler. And in fact, he writes that into the law. And if you know anything, perhaps you've heard the phrase somewhere at some time before, the laws of the Medes and Persians, once you write a law, it cannot be changed. When it goes out, it cannot be changed or altered in any way. He proclaims a law that every single wife must submit to her husband. And this is the story that that Esther, Mordecai and Esther enter into. So I want you to think about this. That means in order for us to get to the place of Esther, greed, lust, chauvinism, disobedience, and a whole host of other things have been in play to get us to this spot. How much of that is God's will? It's a little bit of an uncomfortable question, isn't it? Because we're talking about greed and lust and chauvinism. We're talking about someone who's hungry for power and material wealth. How much of that is a part of God's will? What do you think my answer is going to be? Yes. 
Yeah. Because if it's not part of God's will that these things move in place for Esther to be in place, then that means that Xerxes, by living the way that he did, was whatever enough, powerful enough, smart enough, had the ability enough to live outside of God's will. Right? I mean, that's really what we would have to say. That King Xerxes would have had to live outside of God's will. And Friends, I hope you understand, I'm going to say that it is absolutely impossible to live outside of God's will. How many of you believe that? Some of you don't even know whether or not to raise your hand or not. Is it possible to live outside of God's will? Well, let me put it this way. If it is possible to live outside of God's will, that means that God is not all-powerful. See what I'm saying? Because if we can live outside of God's will, that means that we can be independent of God's plan and purpose and in essence, do our own thing. And I'm going to say to you, friends, because I believe who God is, that there are no random molecules in the universe and there is nothing at any time in any place that is outside of God's will. Now, I'm just going to leave that with you. Because if you think about it long enough, it should and probably will mess with your head. It's messed with mine for now somewhere along the lines of, I don't know, 47 years. Thinking about who God is and how His will works out that God even can use sin and brokenness and pain and difficulty in order for his will to happen is something that if I deny that to be true, then I have to say that God is not all-powerful. And I believe, especially because Scripture teaches, God is all-powerful. He is all-present everywhere, in every time, in every place. The story continues, verse 5. Now there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jer the son of Shammai, the son of Kish, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, among those taken captive with Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This young woman, who was also known as Esther, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. When the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, many young women were brought to the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Haggai. Esther also was taken to the king's palace and trusted to Haggai, who had charge of the harem. She pleased him and won his favor. Immediately, he provided her with beauty treatments and special food. He assigned her seven female attendants selected from the king's palace and moved her and her attendants into the best place in the harem. Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had had forbidden her to do so. Every day he walked back and forth near the courtyard of the harem to find out how Esther was and what was happening to her. Now, okay, into this story, Esther comes. And Esther is, as the scripture said, she is beautiful. Beautiful not only of face, but also beautiful of form. 
And because she is beautiful, form, beautiful of form, she is one of the, the virgins who are picked to be a part of this process of finding a new queen. She goes into the citadel. She eventually becomes part of the harem. But not only does she become part of the harem, she gets a select place. In part because, and you need to read that, that needs to be noted, um, it says this, Esther also was taken to the king's palace and trusted to Haggai, who had charge of the harem. Verse 9, she pleased him and won his favor. Now, we want to read that and say, oh, Haggai just looked over and that he saw that she was beautiful and said, oh, I'm going to make her my favorite. When we read those words in Hebrew that he pleased him, what we're saying there is she actively pursued his favor. Just so we're clear, she used her charm to get position. Okay? She used what God had given her, her beauty, her beauty of form, and the charming personality that she had been given in order to gain position ultimately in the harem. And the eunuch Haggai gave her spot. She actually was, for lack of a better term, kissing up. Boy, again, how are we looking what God is doing? But understand that. If Esther was not beautiful, not only of face but of form, and if she did not have charm, then the next part of the story will become increasingly difficult because ultimately a queen, a queen has to be selected. And as we understand more about who Xerxes is, those things that we've already talked about that God had created in Esther end up being really, really, really important. So when we ultimately say that Esther was put in this place, what's the phrase that we use about Esther? For such a time as this, we understand that God is at work in all of it. God is at work in her charm and in her beauty and in her form. And now we sit back and we go, oh boy, I don't know how comfortable I am with that. You mean that sensuality and sexuality are at work here in order for God to be active? And I'm going to answer yes. Because those things actually are really important in God working out his will in your life. If you wonder why maybe that I could claim that to be the case, then let me just simply ask this question. How many of you have children? How did they get here? Right? There are some things that had to happen for those children to exist. There were some things that happened even way before your children were conceived, in order for your children to exist. Let me give you an example. Sophomore year in college. I'm fairly new to having met this girl named Kristen. And I am, I'll just say, intrigued by Kristen. I actually would say that I am 
a fan at that point of her form and her figure and her beauty of face. But I have not yet achieved what I hope, and that is ultimately a relationship with Kristen. And I hoped that Kristen sort of, that it was a, uh, something that, a back and forth, that she also wanted that of me. Um, and so we sort of were talking and doing different things. But what was interesting is that Kristen had a PE 104 class. And her PE 104 class meant that she had to keep a running log of how much she ran every day. And this was for, an, it was an interim class, wasn't it? It was in January. No, it wasn't. It was fall. It was, no, it was January. It was January. It was. It was January, and it was cold outside, but, and, and of course, I'm chivalrous, man, so I am going to make sure that if she's going to be running outside in the, in the dark, or, I mean, just in Michigan, I mean, you're running in Michigan, someone needs to keep you safe, um, I'm going to go with her. She asked me if I can go with her to run. And so we run together. And we, we go out and we, I don't know, we did one and a half miles sometimes. We did two miles. We did two and a half miles. And, and of course, we'd talk and we'd stop and we'd, you know, just spend time together. And over time, that grew our relationship closer and closer and closer. And we both would claim then that our mutual attraction had grown to the point where we were in an exclusive relationship. Now, what was interesting is after her P104 class was done, um, we ran for a little while together, but then ultimately we stopped running together, in part because she didn't have the assignment for school. But then one of her friends asked her, she said, Kristen, why aren't you and Scott running anymore? And Kristen spoke these words. She said, I've got them. I don't need to do that anymore. My wife used her charm and her beauty and who she is, who God knit her together to be in order for the blessing of the Algersma family now to exist. God uses that stuff. Let's be clear about it. God made her in such a way. God made me in such a way. God made you and your spouse. God made each of your kids in such a way that the things that He has given you can be used by God for His plan and His purpose for such a time as this. And that includes everything that you are. Including your form and your beauty, and your handsomeness, and your strength, and your character, and your abilities, and your capacities, and whatever it is, all of you has been made to glorify God. For us to then hear the greatest commandment, and that is what? Love the Lord your God with all. means that we can love the Lord our God with all. Esther is in this space, in this place now, where she can love the Lord her God with all that she is, and that includes all of her. Here's what all means. Verse 12. Before a young woman's turn came to go into King Xerxes, she had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments prescribed for the women, six months with oil of myrrh, Six with perfumes and cosmetics. 
This is how she would go to the king. Anything she wanted was given her to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening she would go there, and in the morning return to another part of the harem to the care of Shazgaz, the king's eunuch who was in charge of the concubines. She would not return to the king unless he was pleased with her and summoned by name. What happened that night? What happened? Let's be clear. It was a tryout. And I put tryout in this sense of the word. This was a tryout. Xerxes was a man of sensuality, of, in a sense, bodily pleasures, and he was going to see who could do best at the things that he liked. That's what happened. Let's be clear about that. And if we understand all that we've said already about God being the God who knits things together for His glory, even those things that make us and force us to blush a little bit, and yet in that, God glorifies Himself and is at work for His plan and His purpose, then for us to see who God made Esther understands that God was actively preparing her to be the salvation ultimately of his people Israel, which she does become through all the things that he had given her, including her beauty, her charm, and her sensuality. God is all-powerful, and He will use all things in our world and in our lives. And the reason why I even want to speak about this is because I want us to hear that because oftentimes we think that there are all these spaces and places in our world where God is not present, where God is not active, where it seems like God has abandoned this space or that space. God has abandoned places of war and of violence and of racism. God has abandoned places of abuse or slavery or other spaces. And certainly, those are not God's intention for humanity. God over and over reminds us He is the giver of all good things, that His hope is to bless His people. But for us to understand that even in this space and this, this thing that is happening, a tryout in the king's chambers, that God is present there and active, it helps us understand that there are no spaces in our world that are outside God's plan and purpose and His activity. That I can look around at whatever it is that I see and I can say, God is there. And God is powerfully transforming even those things. And I may not get it, and I don't understand, and I don't see it. I can imagine even someone who's in the midst of the Esther story may wonder, how is God going to do this? How is God going to redeem the Jews? He does it through the beauty and the form and the sensuality of a woman. That's a pretty incredible God. And it should help us understand that there are no places in our world. We may call them godless. 
we may believe that there are places, oh God, come in and transform. I'm telling you already that God is there. It's us then to pray, God, give me eyes to see how you are transforming and give me the strength to encourage the ways that you are transforming in as much as you call me for such a time as this to be a part of them. The story finishes. Verse 15. When the turn came for Esther, the young woman Mordecai had adopted the daughter of his uncle Abba, Abihail to go to the king. She asked for nothing other than what Haggai, king's eunuch who was in charge of the harem, suggested. And Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. She was taken to King Xerxes in the royal residence in the tenth month, the month of Tibeth, in the seventh year of his reign. Now the king was attracted to Esther more than to any of the other women. She won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head, made her queen instead of Vashti, and the king gave a great banquet, Esther's banquet, for all his nobles and officials. He proclaimed a holiday throughout the provinces and distributed gifts with royal liberality. God is successful because in how he has shaped and formed and equipped Esther to be, is successful. And the story then of God's people can continue because remember, the laws of the Medes and Persians which are eventually enacted through Haman, this evil man who wants to kill Mordecai and all of his people, is that every single Jew everywhere in the kingdom be terminated and killed. And you can't change that law. And yet God has set this escape clause in in place through Esther. Now, for us to look at then ourselves. Now, first of all, one of the challenges that we often have is that when we look in the mirror, we don't maybe like always what we see. We may wonder, why God did you not make me this or make me that? Hear this, friends. God made you exactly who he made you to be in the same way that he made Esther exactly who he made her to be. And be reminded of that and even celebrate that. See, when we hear that Esther lived into pleasing the eunuch in order to get position in the harem, she's living actively into who God made her to be. Whoever God made you to be, live into it actively. Live into it with abandonment. Live into it with gratitude and thanks to God, seeking His wisdom in how He can exercise who you have made to be in His kingdom in such a way that the net result is incredible things that God has made just for you. Be reminded of that always. Some of you come to me and you say, God didn't give me this gift. God didn't equip me with that. Okay, I get it. Fine. But God did give you some things. And He gave you some things that are incredible and amazing. Explore them. Develop them. Use them. And I look around at some of you and I see the things that God has given you. And there are times when I'm envious. 
I have my gifts, but there's sometimes that I wish I had other gifts because what I see happening with them, what I see God doing with them, some of you may look at me the same way. I don't know. But for us to grab hold of who we are, it's one of those things even that I've continued to learn in my life. God made me to be me, And yes, I can continue to ask the question of how he's shaping and forming me. Where is it that he wants me to grow? But I also know that there are some God things that God made for me specifically to do. And it doesn't matter even if people say, oh, we don't like that about you, or we don't like that about, we don't like this about you. Okay, but God does. God made it. God shaped and formed it. You could say that for yourself. Somebody criticizes you because, you know, and, and I do this too, right? I, I, look at, I look at some people and I say, oh, you're too stubborn. Well, stubborn, the flip side of that positive is strength of character. God made you to be strong in your character, live strong in your character. Just try not to go on the side of stubbornness. God made you, what's another one? Opinionated, Right? We're fearful of people who are opinionated. No, God gave you convictions. How is it that God is giving you convictions and equipping you then in your convictions to live then in obedience to Him? Then live in obedience to Him. Because in your convictions, God is equipping you for such a time as this. God has created you with beauty. Or you are incredibly handsome. Or you are all of those, Mark Leonard. Live into it. Relish it. Allow God then to equip you and bring you into the spaces and the places where those gifts can get you for His glory. Not for yours. That's the thing. That's a shift. It's not about you. It's not about what you want. It's not about getting your way. It is ultimately about glorifying God because if He has put you there for such a time as this, then you have to ask the question, what is this time about and what is it that I'm supposed to do here? Friends, as you go away from this intriguing story of Esther, and it is intriguing, you look further on, you're going to get ultimately a, you're going to get a murder plot to kill the king. You're going to get Haman ultimately seeking to murder Mordecai. And Mordecai actually ultimately through Esther gets revenge on Haman. There's lots of intrigue here. But for us to hear again that God works even through some of these sorts of things in powerful ways for His plan and His purpose, and in that He equips His people to be doing what it is that He equipped them to do to live into that in obedience to Him and for His glory. And you're a part of that story. You are a part of that story. Discover. Ask God to open up your eyes. Those things, Lord, that you have made me to be, that you have equipped me to do. You haven't equipped me for this, okay? You haven't equipped me for this. What is it that you have equipped me for so that I can live into that with full and reckless abandonment seeking to glorify you? Friends, go from this place. Know that you are equipped by God for such a time as this in a very specific beautiful and God-glorifying way in a way that can ultimately bring more of his kingdom here on earth. To that end, let's pray. Father, you equip us 
in so many different ways and we look around the room and we see all those differences and distinctions. How every person here has different gifts and abilities, different capacities, different form and beauty. Lord, in each of those things, all of us know a space in Your kingdom. And some of us know that well. And we are already faithfully living into that space. Some of us continue to discover that. Lord, equip us to that end. Knowing that who You, is, who you have made us to be is good. You've said that. In fact, in, in Genesis chapter 1, You call it very good. Lord, may we see our very goodness give you gratitude for it, and then live into it in whatever way that you call us to, to see your kingdom grow. You're the only one who can do that. You made us this way, and there's no spaces and places in this world where we are outside of your will. Father, may we in your will give you glory to the best of our ability with whatever we have, loving you every step of the way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.